Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Known as the insightful copywriter, Gloria Grace Rand shows service-based entrepreneurs how to create a business with more impact, influence, and income. She is an inspirational speaker and author of the bestseller, Live, Love, Engage, How to Stop Doubting Yourself and Start Being Yourself. Gloria, thank you so much for sharing your story. Oh, thank you for having me. I am delighted to be here and uh, hope um, I'll be able to help someone out with what I have to share and my story and how it relates to, uh, uh, you know, to cancer patients, to caregivers. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Well, if the title of your book is any indication, I know you will have a lot to share. Um, so I'm very excited today because it's not very often that we have a caregiver share their story. And you know, I'm a caregiver too, and we have a very different perspective. So I would like uh, like for you to tell us about um, the cancer journey and how you became the caregiver and just start at the beginning. Sure. Um, yeah, the beginning was um, July of 2015. And my um, older sister, she's 10 years older than me, um, called me to say that she'd been having this pain and uh, in her upper, I guess in her leg or something, but it was affecting her leg. And she was a massage therapist and she'd been trying different things and she tried you know, massage and she tried uh, acupuncture and I think even Reiki or something. And, and the pain wasn't going away, it was even getting worse. And so she decided she was gonna go see her um, uh, you know, general practitioner and go in for uh, an exam and try to figure out what was going on. And then the next call I got from her was that she, he, he suspected that it was ovarian cancer. He felt, he felt a mass and recommended that she go in actually, I guess, I think first was to get an ultrasound. And then after the ultrasound, it was like, yeah, they need to go in and do surgery and see what's going on here. So, um, and in fact, I think when she was having a surgery, I think was the time I actually had gone out to California and was attending a conference for my business. I was learning how to do video production. And so um, I got a call, I think there, um, saying that, uh, I think that, that, I think from one of her friends that I needed to come out to the hospital um, to fly out to Tucson, because that's where she lived, was in Arizona, uh, before I went back home. And so when I got there, we found out that um, the surgeon told her after the surgery that when he got in there, he discovered that no, it was not ovarian cancer. Uh, what she had was a grapefruit-sized tumor that was wrapped around her psoas muscle. And so they, he couldn't even take it out because it was tied up with some of the arteries and he was afraid if he, you know, tried to take it, you know, it could be very dangerous. She could possibly lose her life. So he left it alone. And, and at first um, he thought it was leiomyosarcoma. 
um, was the initial diagnosis. And then after doing some more testing and, and it turned out that it was rhabdomyosarcoma, which was number one, this was bizarre that she had cancer in the first place because my sister was healthy, healthy, healthy. <laughs> she was a massage therapist. She knew how to take care of her body. And, um, and then to find out it was this, which was a pediatric cancer. And my sister was, let's see, I guess 63 at the time, I guess when she was diagnosed. Very so, rare pediatric. Yeah. Cancers. Yeah. So it's a very rare case. And in fact, I think I did, I did some research. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, one in like, I don't know, 3000 or something, even cases, um, I think possibly in the U S or, or something, or maybe even in the world, it was just an extremely small amount. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And, and in fact, I remember that the, uh, her oncologist even said that, uh, really the chances of her, um, getting, getting this cancer were like getting hit by lightning and which was not exactly, you know, comforting to her, <laughs> Right. Time, you know, so put, to paint a little bit of a fuller picture, she's in Tucson. Yeah. Uh, you're 10 years younger, so you're 50, in early 50s, right? Yeah. And where were you living at this point? I live in Florida. And okay. Oh, wow. That's a significant difference. That's, yeah, it is a distance. significant difference. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and my sister was, um, she's divorced. She didn't have any kids. Um, so basically, all she had were her colleagues from um where she practiced uh, massage therapy in, in the office that she worked and, and some friends. And so um, essentially, you know, when this happened, I was like, okay, well, um, thankfully my kids were grown. They were both, they were both, I think they may still have been living at home at the time or I think my son had moved out. I think he was in an apartment, but regardless, they were all in their twenties, self-sufficient. Yeah. My son was in, a, in an apartment. That's right. Cause my, daughter would have to start picking up the load at home because I started traveling out to Tucson as often as I could to be with her when she was going through chemo. Um, so my kid was having to feed my husband, <laughs> you know, all, that, all that fun stuff um, that I would normally do. And so, yeah, so that's what I started doing. But, and, and thankfully, I own my own business too. And so that, that was a huge advantage because I didn't have to like take off time from work. I can work from anywhere as long as I had computer and internet access. So I would, in fact, uh, one time, one of the early, I think first chemo treatments, I actually, I think I wrote a blog article while my sister was getting chemo. I was like <laughs> sitting there with my laptop, <laughs> you know, getting stuff done. I think I took a picture over there. Um, so yeah, I was able to continue to do that, but it was still, it was, um, it was not easy. And I, um, there were times in fact, when, um, especially as, as we progressed with the treatment and that where, um, my sister's friends would be calling me going, Gloria, when do you come back out? <laughs> it's like, can you, can you come back out soon, please? Um, because it was, it was hard on them too, because, you know, they're, she, because it was affecting her legs, she couldn't walk. Um, so, so she had to be in a wheelchair and so she couldn't drive either. Um, then, so she was having to rely on friends uh, to take her to um, the, the oncologist to be able to get uh, treatments. And, um, and then, you know, and dealing with all, all the stuff that goes into. So it was, um, and as you know, when someone is uh, going through this stuff, they're either they're sick, they're in pain, they're they can, um, 
not be in the best of moods at times. <laughs> and, and, and even though, you know, I know she didn't, um, you know, intend to like snap at people, you know, I, you do sometimes because you're just, you know, you get short tempered and, um, you know, because you're miserable and you're having to deal with this crazy diagnosis and, and yeah, so it wasn't easy. And so I would be, okay, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll go see what I can, you know, book another flight and I'll be out there soon. And uh, yeah, and sometimes I did stay out even for like a month at a time um, to give her, you know, to give folks a break and, and so that I could spend time with, with her. To your knowledge, what was the plan? I mean, if surgery wasn't an option, what, yeah, what was their well, grand plan? Right. Well, uh, they recommended it was initially um, radiation. They did a couple treatments of radiation and then chemotherapy. And of course, I was, you know, going trying to go into fix it mode and, and searching online and trying to find, you know, any other type of treatment or something, you know, and I, I think at one time I was like, well, there's something in Mexico that sounds promising. And she's like, nah, no, nah, I don't want to do that. And it would cost too much money. And so uh, she didn't want to do that. And then, and then my husband actually, God bless him, he, he's found something promising um, that was called a cyber knife. Mm, um, yeah. Yeah. Cyber yeah, and, and to really be that sort of laser type of, of treatment um, for cancer. And so when I first talked to her about that, again, she was kind of like, didn't really want to hear it. And, and I think, you know, for whatever variety of reasons, you know, she was going through probably in her own dealing with, you know, either denial or just not, um, you know, or scared and what have you. And so I could you know, there's only so much I can do. Um, we finally, I think, and this was like the, the following year, and I think it was really when she finally decided that we're getting nearer to the fact that um, the chemo did start reducing the size of the tumor, but then it kind of, it, it stopped. So it was like, and, and it's like, it only got so far and it really wasn't enough to still even be able to do, because they were hoping that if it got small enough, they could do surgery and be able to pull and to get rid of it, but it didn't reach that point. And, and she was just taking longer and longer to come back because it was really depleting her white blood cells. Yeah. That's what uh, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. And so she finally said, I think it was like in the summer of 2016, she's like, forget it. I'm not going to do any more chemo. And, but then she was like, well, you know, let's look into cyber knife. And then, that took me months to be able to, it was like, try to get an appointment. Then I was trying to get her medical records sent over from just from Tucson to Phoenix. Cause there was an actual place. There was an office in Phoenix um, that we could go to. And when we finally got the appointment, it was in December of 2016. And um, so we did a two hour drive to got up there um, doctor saw her and actually said, well, you know what, we can reduce the size of the tumor. It's not going to cure you, but it will get you off some of the pain meds, um, reduce them down. Cause she was, you know, taking all the lovely, super hardcore, um, stuff, um, fentanyl patch and, wow. and all that stuff. Um, so he said, you know, we'd be able to reduce that down and, and probably extend your life, you know, for a little bit more. And um, so we left there very hopeful, but that trip, I don't know, or just whatever the timing was it, um, it just knocked her out. And the next day she like slept 
most of the day, which kind of freaked me out. It was like, what's going on? And, and just went into a spiral after that and just started, it was like, it was too late. It was too little too late. Here's the other thing too. Okay. <laughs> there's, there's so much going on here. So in, in October, at the end of October, um, she went into the hospital because um, she had a bowel obstruction. And so I got a frantic call saying, Gloria, you better come out here now because we don't think she's going to make it. I'm like, ah, and God bless Southwest Airlines. They got me on a flight, you know, that afternoon. I even got TSA pre-approved. I was like, <laughs> yes, I got to skip the line. I was like, because I was freaking out. Yeah. And um, so, but then she she rallied and, and got better from that, but they couldn't do anything more for her at the hospital. And they said, you know, you probably should just go on to hospice care. So that's what she did. And she was in a hospice facility for about a few weeks and then came home or a week, I think, and then came home. They brought a bed and set it up in her living room. And that was really cool. Um, but when we decided to do CyberKnife, um, we had to go off hospice care temporarily because it was a you know, chance that she could actually you know, be, yeah. survive and not do that. Well, then um, right after it was like on Christmas, Eve, she was really, really failing and, and Christmas day even. And so Christmas day, um, I think it was a Sunday and then Monday was the holiday. And it's like, I got to get her back on hospice care because I can't manage this. She's, she really needs help. And so I was like, you know, calling and we finally got her back um, on hospice on Tuesday. And that actually turned out to be the last day because they came around by help me and I wound up having to um, you know, I was giving her morphine and, and, and stuff. And, uh, and then she passed that in the middle of the night that oh, night, but yeah. she passed with her cat by her side, because that was one thing she had always said. She had this lovely cat named Guy. And she's like, you know, I want to be home. She said, I wanted to be home and have, and have Guy with me. And so she was. And so that oh. was, um, I mean, he really, he, he had jumped on the bed with her and he was sitting with her and, um, and so that was, that was good. So I was glad that we were able to do, that she was able to go out on her terms. Right. So, so that was good. Before this diagnosis, were the two of you close? We were. I mean, it, we really didn't develop a close relationship until I was um, an adult um, <laughs> because, um, you know, she went off to college when I was seven years old and, and did not move back home again after that. In fact, she kept kind of moving farther west. We grew up in Michigan. And so she went to school in Kalamazoo. Then she transferred to Iowa. And then she wound up living uh, in, in Arizona. So, yeah, she kept, yeah. Well, the, the way our family was, was not the, we had not the greatest of uh, uh, environments to, to grow up in. And so, yeah, I understood why she wanted to get home. So yeah, when we, um, when I became an adult, we sort of reconnected and she had come out to Florida a few times, especially when my kids were little. And, and then she was like, you know, Gloria, you really need to start coming out and seeing me. So I had actually, in fact, I think I'd gone out actually the year before or a couple years before when she tried, I know for her 60th birthday, I went out there. If anything good came out of that was that we did got to spend a lot of time together. And, you know, and, and even comparing notes about our different childhoods that we had, because it was a little bit different. Yeah. And, um, and so for that, it was good, you know, and we, and, you know, and when she was feeling good, we had some 
good times together. We even went out, you know, um, to like a, an art festival in, in Tucson and I was pushing her in the, in the wheelchair. In fact, I even got, I'm wearing these today. I have earrings on today. These were earrings that I bought there oh. for her. Um, and, uh, and I gave them to her at Christmas time. So she didn't even know that I bought them there. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I'm going to wear these today. So I'll have a little oh. bit of Michaela with me today. Yeah, what was her name? I don't think we've said it yet. Yeah, Michaela. Michaela. That's that's pretty. You know, you've mentioned a couple of different hurdles that I think are significant for people. Mm. Getting a second opinion, trying to get records transferred, going on hospice, getting off hospice. (laughs) um, and, And some of these I'm familiar with and some not so much. Of all of those hurdles, which one was the most difficult for you? Getting her into CyberKnife because it was like that was like my my thing that you know this was you know this you know potential for hope of, of somehow you know being able to either if not cure her or to to do something and I was so frustrated and just it just seemed like it was taking me so long it was like when she finally decided she was like okay yeah yeah go ahead Gloria let's see if we can do this CyberKnife thing and okay good great and then I was like I just was it was frustrating trying to you know contact the hospital going there in person and getting requesting things and then following up with them in, in phoenix and making sure they got them and then getting the appointment and it was just like so i would say that was really the hardest and 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 the most frustrating thing that you know and then when we got the hope it was like too little too late and it was very heartbreaking, really, you know, because, uh, you know, because it's, you know, especially, I mean, right from the beginning, you know, too, I was like in denial. It's like, I didn't want to see my sister, um, you know, to lose my sister when she was, you know, young yet, you know, and, um, and we'd had a, we, we actually did have a, an older brother. Um, he was four years older than her, and we lost him when he was only 33. Um, oh when goodness. I was in, I was a freshman in college. And both of our parents are gone. So it was like, and in fact, losing her was really, was really, it hit me so much harder than I ever thought possible. And because it was the last, you know, that last connection to my family that I grew up with. And, um, and then I think also for, because I was also there with her, I think when she passed where I hadn't been with my parents, I wasn't there. I wasn't there when, even when my brother died. I just, we found out about it after. So yeah, it was, it was a lot of stuff, but you know, again, I've, I've gotten past that now and now I can focus on, there was a lot of good that came out of that. Um, and so that's what, that's what I choose to focus on now. Uh, and, not, and not so much of the, you know, pain and heartbreak. Well, I, I appreciate you being so vulnerable about it. I really do. Um, Certainly not an easy subject for me to talk about, even almost 20 years later. I'm curious, did you find, um, because you were the caregiver, because you did have a lot of things to literally take care of um, after Michaela died, um, did you find that that was a good distraction for a period of time? You know, yeah, because I mean, it's, yeah, there's a lot of stuff you have to do. I had to deal with her, I had to pay her taxes, you know, file her income tax form. And we had to, um, thoughtfully, because she had also, uh, before she was, became a massage therapist, she had worked in an attorney's office. And so she, again, one of the first things she actually did was set up 
um, to have the her house get transferred into my name oh. um, right after she, you know, as soon as she so passed. Smart. And I forget exactly what the legal term was for that. So that made it easy for me to actually sell the house because it was already the deed was in my name. It distracted a little bit, I think, but it was um, not that much. I mean, it was just still, it's like, it's like stuff to deal with. And I'm trying to deal with my own you know, family. I'm dealing with my business and run, running all those things. So it's, it's just, it's stuff you have to do. And, um, but it's not necessarily, I mean, I guess it distracted me maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there's a great quote and I'm, I'm probably going to mangle it, even though it's one of my favorite quotes, but, um, it's, uh, children leave. So do husbands and lovers, but sisters, sisters are the only ones with us from birth till death. Mm. And it just Mm. like every time it just gets me. Um, yeah. And, and she's still, and she is still with me. Um, in fact, she was, she, I say she helped me last year when I was writing my book um, because I was, I was having trouble with one area of it and something I I wanted to double check some, um, some timing. And so she had, um, I'd kept like one of her notebooks um, that she had um, was taking notes in during the, during her, um, she was very good about like writing down, you know, when, what she was taking medications, what time and, and, you know, and keeping track of everything. And, and so I was, I went to this journal and I found, um, I I found her writing in there that it was, um, and I'm going to, and I'm going to mangle it because I don't remember exactly, but it was the effect of, of that, you know, her, you know, she was, why, why she was, um, doubting that she like even deserved to live or, or, or that she should be fighting the cancer more. It was something about that, you know, and it was like, you know, why am I not, you know, trying to do, um, you know, trying to, to be able to survive this or something. And it was, it was very, and like I said, I'm not doing a good job of it. I, I put it, I put the actual um, quote into my book okay. um, that she had written down. Cause it was really, yeah, it was just talking, touched this doubtfulness of her worthiness and, and, you know, and, and, you know, being enough. And yeah, I think that was kind of, of, of it, um, the gist of it. And that, yeah, it was like, why didn't she feel like she should be fighting this more? And, oh, gosh. you know, and, and really it was like at the very end was when she was like, Oh crap. Yeah. Now I really do want to live. Cause it was, I think she'd sort of given up until the end, then when the end comes and it's like, um, I don't want to go no, <laughs> necessarily gosh. now, you know, um, which, which is, which is hard too. And I think this was part of what the hospice helped. They did pro- offer like counseling. Um, and so she was, uh, you know, talking with someone about, you know, you know, end of life things and, and being able to, you know, help her a little bit with, you know, being prepared for the end, um, which was good. So what about you? Did you ever get counseling? Or? Um, I got some grief counseling afterwards, <laughs> um, but not during. I though I did take advantage of uh, you know when she was under um, the hospice uh, organization that they would you know give me respite, and so someone would come over for a couple hours, and I you know got to go to the movies and and just kind of take a break. Um, cause yeah, cause essentially when I, I flew out in October, I then stayed 
I stayed there until um, basically until January um, after she passed so I could then deal with, you know, getting the house ready for sale. So I really was like the full-time caregiver for her that, that those last couple months oh, um, yeah. she was here. Well, one of the things I think that actually, uh, no, I, that not just think I know helped me is that I've had a, I've had a meditation practice for a long time. And so I, um, at the time I was, uh, the type of meditation I was doing is I would listen to, um, I was listening to this thing called Holosync and that you listen in your uh, a recording um, that you listen to. And, um, and so I would do that first thing in the morning before, you know, she got up. And, um, and so I, I do know that that helped me a lot in being able to, um, let me have patience um, <laughs> her because, you know, because there were times when, you know, again, when she could be, um, you know, complaining or, or, you know, you know, lashing out occasionally, um, or, you know, or just complaining about, you know, the food I fixed. It was like, you know, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. more sauce. I like sauce with my chicken, Gloria, you know, it's like, okay, sorry. Next time I'll do more, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> you know, just, little, little things. So, um, but yeah, I do think that I do know that the meditating really did help me a lot. And it really was um, amazing that, and I guess it's not really amazing, but I think when you do love somebody and you want to be there for them, you find the strength that you maybe didn't know that you had. And, And I just, you know, swallowed a lot of stuff because it's like, like I could let it go because I I need I know I need to be here for her I need to do this for her I need to help her and um, you know like I learned how to um, handle the this wheelchair she had this she had this great little collapsible wheelchair and I could get that thing you know folded up shove it in the back seat of her car you know, <laughs> in, in no time and you know so I, re- I learned how to become an expert at, oh yeah at that uh, for her and and just you know and getting it set up so I you know kept you know, had muscles and, <laughs> yeah. and it felt, you know, it, it felt good to be able to just, you know, you know, get that, out, get that going. I'm going to ask you a question I think would be impossible for me to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, okay. <laughs> if you could hold on to one memory of you and your sister of any time, hmm. um, what would it be and why? The one and that I had actually, it was there because it's it's a it's a fun memory, um, and it was that the first Christmas that I was there you know, during that she was going through this, and um, we um, in our family we always made baked cookies at Christmas time, and so there was a one recipe that my sister I remember as a kid that she would make that was her one that she always made. And then I started making it for my family too. My family loves them. They're called pecan crisps. And it's basically just a sugar cookie with, uh, you know, some that you put uh, pecans on, on the top of it after they bake in the, or while they bake in the oven. And so we're baking, I'm, I'm fixing up this batch of cookies for her and you have to, you roll them into balls and then you take a glass and put sugar on the end of it and you flatten them down and then you put the pecans on. And so I'm baking these and she's like, you need to flatten them more. Like, nice. she's like, no, you really, you do. They taste better. They come out better if you flatten them. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I went through and, you know, and I flattened them all better. And, and 
put them in the oven and turned if she wasn't right, they did taste better. <laughs> it was quite annoying. <laughs> did you but, tell her you she know, was big, right? Yeah, big sisters, you know, go figure. They yeah. And, you know, so um, so I love that memory. So that's mm. that's one that I, I treasured because it was because it was it was hysterical that you know she schooled me on how to make cookies. <laughs> I thank you for sharing that because I I could just feel that you know I could feel the memory and um, and I don't even like pecans but I yeah. could feel it want to be there with you. Um, wow. Um, yeah. What what is the one thing that you wish you had known? at the beginning of this journey with your sister? I don't know, to try to spend even more time with her. Cause I still, there were, there were, I, I've looked back at my calendar and, and, you know, seeing how many times I flew out there. And there was like, I think one period where I was like, oh, I wasn't there for quite a while. And, you know, I kind of, you know, feel bad about that, that I, I should have gone, you know, scheduled another trip in there somehow, but I was, you know, it's, it's tough. Cause I was trying to, you know, my family wanted me at home too and they didn't want me to be out there and, and we had even asked her to come here you know to come to florida and i mean early right at the beginning you know and said you know you can get treatment here you can go you know, we've got lots of cancer centers and in, in the sure. state of florida and but she didn't want to leave well she didn't want to leave her home she didn't want to leave her cat and you know i said you know you could bring the cat but then again we do have two cats and two dogs here so probably wouldn't have been very good for guy to come <laughs> all the way across country and to be, you know, involved with all these animals. So, and maybe, maybe I wish I had known if there's any other way I could, if there's anything I could have done even just to help her emotionally. Um, I think, I, I believe all of these things happen, um, you know, for a reason or we just have to go through them. If you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the U.S., what would it be and why? I would say is, is to find a way to focus more on mental health and to really, and to focus on preventative care, I would say, actually, rather than, you know, we're really good at handling, fixing things, yeah. but we're not so good at preventing these things from occurring in the first place. And that's, again, where I do think doing more for mental health also ties in with that because I, I do, for me, I think that one of the reasons my sister got cancer was that she did struggle with depression uh, for a lot of her life growing up, well, even as, as an adult. Um, and so as I said, we, um, my dad was an alcoholic and, and my mom um, had quite a bit of a temper. And, and, and I know especially that my sister did not have um, the best childhood and but she also you know god love her um she also hung on to that resentment i think for quite a long time and you know and blaming my mom you know for for how things happened in her life um you know so i think if there's some way that we could spend more time on helping people to you know helping people with depression and helping people to um really love themselves and to be able to even when they do get some type of illness or to get cancer that they could be able to manage it better and 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 to look for you know other ways of treatment i feel like i got to know a little more about michaela i really love it <laughs> and you too mm -hmm. um are you ready for the thriver rapid fire okay all, all right. right let's have some fun 
And I'm really curious of your answers too. Okay. <laughs> beach, desert, or mountains? Beach. Although I've come to appreciate the desert. I like, I, yes, I like, I can appreciate the beauty of Tucson now. When I first, the first time I went out there, I was like, yeah. but, <laughs> but after spending, you yeah. know, you know, over a year and a half going out there a lot, it, it does have its beauty, but I'm still a beach girl. Yeah, give me, me the, too. give me the ocean. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, beach boys, Beatles or Rolling Stones. <sighs> I like them all. It was hard. It's hard to decide because <laughs> it depends on my mood, frankly. <laughs> Um, you okay, know? right now. What's your mood yeah, right, right now? now? Okay, since we're talking about the beach, we'll go to the Beach Boys. It's lighthearted <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> what is one word that best describes you? Wow. Well, thoughtful came to mind first, which was interesting. I, I, I would not have necessarily have used that, but that seemed to come up. So I'm going to go with it. Okay. Maybe yeah. someone gave you that word. Yeah. Um, before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? So the Hallelujah chorus is coming to mind, which is interesting. Um, I, <laughs> maybe you know, it's like you, sur- you you've made it. Hallelujah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, I'm go with that, today. that. By the way, that is the one question of these kind of fun questions that is tough for everyone. Yeah, That's yeah. The one. Um, what is the last meal you want to eat? Ooh. Um, I do like scallops. Nice broiled sea scallops are good. And um, I don't know, with some other lovely vegetables and a salad, that would be good. Yeah. All right. The last person you want to see? I'll say my kids. So I want to see both of them. My, my son and daughter. Yeah. And what will be the last words you will speak? I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and hopefully it will be that, that because I'm anticipating going another 50 years and so that and accomplishing stuff. So I want to be able and to I, say I'm done. I'm done. I like I'm done. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, aside from Cancer U, what is one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? So this is also a really good time. I want you to talk about your book, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would recommend, it's an organization that I found out about um, last year. It's called Chemo Buddies for Life. Oh, I don't think I've heard of this one. Okay, we'll make yeah. sure I put it in the notes. Okay. Yeah, um, uh, they've got they've got a big uh, Facebook presence, and I think they're kind of tweaking their website at the moment. But what they do is they provide support for not only cancer patients, but also for care caregivers. And um yeah, they're um, run by a wonderful woman, um, and, and Tamara, and, and Tamara Hunter, and uh, I participated in a fundraiser for them last year. And uh, I think if I'd known about them with my sister, I think it would have been good for her to be able to have, even though, um, you know, there were some cancer support groups, to be, to be able to have like one person that she could really talk to about things she was going through, and that I could, you know, actually talk to as well. So, um, yeah, okay, so that's what I recommend. All right. And tell us about your book, Live, Love, Engage. Tell us about the book. Um, yeah, this, um, this was a book that the idea for it came actually like a couple of days before, about a week before I flew out to Arizona, um, that last time in October. And I was meditating as I normally do. And this idea thought came in my head that said, you should write a book about love. And I'm like, 
I do marketing. Where is this coming from? This makes no sense. You write a book about love. And, but for some reason, I still just sat, I then, you know, went to my computer and I started writing and just kind of noodling about this. And it was like, oh, love is an acronym. Oh, well, that's interesting. Okay. All right. So the L stands for let go and let God. And the O is open your heart to receive. The V is value your uniqueness. And the E is embrace your divinity. And I was like, oh, gosh, I love like, that. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Okay, that's interesting. And, and so then later that day, I was going through my email and there was an email from Hay House offering a writer's boot camp. So I said, oh, okay, God, I guess you really are serious that you really want me to write a book about love. Okay, um, let me sign up for this. And then, of course, life got in the way and I wound up uh, not dealing with it because my sister was having her crisis. So I wanted to write about I was having trouble and a friend of mine suggested, well, where do you like to go that, you know, is like your happy place? I'm like, well, the beach. And she's like, well, go right there. And so I was only an hour drive. I'm only an hour drive from the beach. And so Friday mornings, I would drive out and sit for a couple of hours and, and write in my notebook and, and just say, okay, God, what do you want me to say about this stuff? And what does this mean? And over the course of writing this, and I had my own interesting health challenge because I I was talking with my coach, um, I, had, I was had, working with a coach, and it finally dawned on me during this conversation that the reason why I had to write this book was that I had to learn this stuff for myself. Mm. It was like, that was what was going on. And it just all of a sudden just really dawned on me crazily. And I, after I got off the call with him, I like sat in my office and was like bawling, crying. And then I had to go to an appointment and so I got in my car and I'm driving and I'm, I'm like two minutes away from my house. I'm like, where am I going? Wait, why am I in the car? Where am I, where am I, where am I supposed to be going? And I started freaking out because I thought I was having a stroke because I seriously could not remember what I was supposed to be doing, where, why I was in the car, where was I going? And so I wound up pulling over. I called my daughter who I thought I called one time, but evidently I called her like six times said the exact same thing every time, freaking her out just a bit because she's like, oh what is goodness. going on with mom? Yeah. And um, so I wound up, she called an ambulance. I went to you know, the emergency room and got checked out. And and it is, it was just like this weird kind of amnesia that people get, just a temporary thing um, that's brought on by stress. Uh, if you have a history of migraine headaches, which I did, um, if you've done some exertion, uh, exercise, I just want a half marathon the weekend before. So it's like, okay, tick, tick, tick. This makes sense. All right, yeah. good. Uh, <laughs> um, but it was like, I figured I attribute it to God knocking me on the head and saying, yeah, I'm serious. This is, you needed to learn this stuff. Um, and and that's that's why I needed to, to write the book. And it's been a tremendous blessing. I, you know, I tried, I dedicated it to um, Michaela. Um, because Aww. I really felt that it was that that journey that she was on really sparked this, and um, yeah, and I'm and I'm grateful for it. She was um, my sister was a uh, really 
brilliant woman. She had a you know, wicked sense of humor and she was a poet and she had lots of um, poems that I, I wound up saving. She also had lots of journals, lots and lots of journals that I did not bring home. I got rid of them. I kind of, in hindsight, I sort of, in a way, wish that I had saved them. But at the same time, I felt like it, it was her private you know, thoughts. And I decided that, no, I don't want to see them because it's, you know, I kind of glanced through a few and I'm like, nah, I'm going to let it go. I don't want to um, bring it home and just, you know, it was her stuff and I, I just let it go. So, wow. There you go. <laughs> well, for my own sister journey, this was very, very special for me today. Mm-hmm. And I just, really appreciate your generosity and um yeah I, I really thank you so much for sharing not only your story but Michaela's story oh, well thank you it's um it was nice being able to talk about it you know it's been it was um like I said there was a lot of um you know highs and lows and I get to keep her memory alive this way by you know talking about it and and hopefully um you know let others know um that you know caregiving is it's definitely not always easy but it is rewarding and you know and I'm I'm so grateful again I'm so grateful that that I had a business that I could um you know, still work, I would get up in the morning, you know, and sit at the kitchen table there and, and, and do some work. And then before she got up, and then I, you know, make her breakfast and, and we, you know, go on about her day. And it's like, so, so grateful that everything worked out in that way that I was able to spend as much time as I could uh, with her. And I'm really glad and she was she was very grateful as well. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was interesting. Oh, it was interesting that the one of the signs that I knew the end was there. She was also very vain, you know, <laughs> you know as we all, all, as women are. And she loved, she loved to wear earrings. And she had a wonderful collection of earrings. And like the, like maybe, you know, the last day or so, um, she didn't want to put any earrings in. And so, so I, that was like, for me, it was like, yeah, she's, she's just not, not up for it anymore. Right. Yeah. So. Wow. Oh, I love that, especially knowing the earrings you're wearing right now. Thank you again for sharing your story. And if you want to get Gloria's book, uh, Live, Love, Engage, there will be a link in the show notes. And there's also, of course, a link inside the workshop. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories. True stories.